goes back to saying in spring is a beautiful, beautiful day outside. A beautiful day for us to come together and worship the Lord. A couple of passages before we get started this morning. Joe Jameson was scheduled to come and sing for us today. His wife, uh, uh, Joe, and, uh, Joe and his wife, this is the second marriage for both of them because their spouses passed away before they were run. But uh, his wife's, one of her sons passed away. And uh, he's in his, uh, in his late 40s. And uh, so they had to go to Indiana. So Joe will not be with us this morning. But lucky for us, we have a young lady who's done for some for us before. Miss um, Kittle is going to come and sing for us this morning, Elizabeth. And her parents are with her sitting here on the fourth row back. And so we want to welcome them this morning as we come together and as we worship. Uh, the bulletin will be uh, just a little bit different, and you'll find that out as we go through it this morning. All right. Let's stand as we sing together and as we praise the Lord.
walked out here, I gotta be honest, I was pretty nervous. Hope I didn't, you know, bomb this. <laughs> yeah. You know, because last time what happened. So on the screen, you were gonna see my best friend, my wife Kelsey. She winds up uh, telling me with excitement and fear that she's pregnant. Nine months go by and my daughter's born. And the reason I know that my wife is the best in the world is because when I looked at my wife and I said, what do you want to name her? Do you think Madison or Avery? She looked at me and said, no, we have to name Chloe Lynn, don't we? I said, we don't have to do that. Why would you even think that? And she said, because you idiot. You already got your ex-girlfriend's name tattooed on your arm. Yeah. So we named her after my ex-girlfriend. It's not true. It's not true. No, my ex-girlfriend's a devil, but it's a... So everything's going my way. I'm coming up to my third deployment. I gotta go over to Afghanistan for my third time. Start putting our stuff on like normal. As we're going over what we're gonna do, we're strapping our gear on. We go out to the minesweeper and we start scooping the ground back and forth. Back and forth, nothing alarms us standing there. I took my backpack off and I set it on the ground. It hits the ground. And underneath it is a bomb. And it takes the right arm, right leg automatically. They rush me into surgery, right? We're gonna fast forward into the surgery here. And they cut my left leg off because it's already gone. And then two days later, they have to cut my left arm off because the skin is necrotized. So I'm a quadruple amputee. Three days later, I arrived at Walter Reed, Desmond Meredith. My wife came up to me, right? And I saw her. When I finally got a chance to talk to her, I said, Kelsey, you don't have to do this. Take the house, take the cars, take whatever money we have saved up and go. This is not the life I'm gonna choose for you. And she thought about it. And she said, you know, I was thinking that. And she came around and she said, you know what, handicap parking sounds enticing. I'm, I'm gonna stay. But if you can imagine, she actually at 23 and I'm 25, our daughter, six months old, said, you know what, I'm gonna be here. We're gonna get through this together. So I'm at Walter Reed and I'm trying to recover. I had to find motivation, but I find motivation in my wife and my daughter. And all of a sudden there's a brother at Walter Reed, a robot walked into my room. And first thing out of this guy's mouth was, hey man, welcome to the club. I said, I don't want to be in your club. He said, kind of late now, don't you think? He said, oh, you got me there. And his name was Todd Nicely. He showed me that with hard work and determination, I could walk again. And two things went on. Number one, this guy showed me the way that I can get better. I can still be there for my family. And number two, he's a Marine. And if a Marine can do it, how dumb they are. <laughs> you know? So the things I wanted to accomplish, I wanted to be able to feed myself again. I wanted to be able to pick a fork up and put food in my mouth. You see, I, I couldn't do that for five weeks. At five weeks, I was out of my recovery stage enough where I was healed up and I could grab a fork. I also was tired of sitting in a wheelchair. I thought, you know what, I want to be able to walk again. So seven weeks and four days into my recovery, I took my very first steps at Walter Reed. It was very painful, it was not easy. And as I was walking around the track, he said, you'll walk one lap today. And I went ahead and walked three laps that day. And when I got done, I sat down, took a breather, and realized this could be something that I do. And the next thing, ladies and gentlemen, is my hand. This is the coolest thing in the world. On the screen, you're gonna see the most important hand that I own, right there. It's not the one I'm wearing. No, that one. That one's called a driver. That hand is in a Crown Royal bag on the top shelf of my closet. Yeah, and nobody touches that hand because that hand closes 25 pounds of pressure. And you see my daughter, who's seven years old. Dad, nine years, Johnny's gonna come knock at the door. And he's gonna be like, 
Hey, bro. Like, just bro me, Johnny? That's 25 pounds of pressure. He's like, oh, dude, that hurts. Johnny, there's no strike two and three. This is two and three right here. Crunch. I break his hand. I know it's sad. He's like, let me go. Let me go. I pull Johnny closer. I let him go. No. I say, Johnny, guess what? I don't know what. No fingerprints, Johnny. Remember that, Johnny. When I got blown up and I was down and out, I wondered why did this happen? I was embarrassed, I was angry, I was questioning my bad person. Does God hate me? And the biggest question I honestly had, ladies and gentlemen, was why didn't I just die? Why did I live through this? And I found the answer in my family. And I found the answer in Todd Meisley, that corporal that came to see me that was retired from the Marine Corps, that told me I would be fine. So I decided I was going to talk to everybody I could that was at that hospital. And I won't read the MQs of what you normally see. And me missing all four limbs, I was the worst you're going to see. So I go room to room and I'd say, hey, I'm Travis, you're going to be fine. Same message I gave From that experience, some people found out I did that and came to know as the mayor of Building 62 and they made a documentary on me. I don't put my problems that way anybody else. I am fortunate to live in a nation where I can wake up in the morning with arms and all legs strap my legs on, right, throw my arm on, go in the elevator and go out and live life to the fullest. Take my wife and my daughter wherever I want to go. The two life lessons that I have learned that I want you to go and pass along to everybody that you meet is number one, don't clone the past. I learned that because when I was sitting in my hospital bed, closing my eyes and wishing that this did not happen, I realized you're not going to change the past. I can't change what happened yesterday, and I can't change what happened six years ago in that phase. So I reminisce the 25 great years I had with legs and arms, and I've had six pretty great years without them. But with that experience, and so many more, you can't always control your situation. But I can always control my attitude.
how we change when we let God into our lives. Our thoughts change. Our attitudes change. Our behavior changes. And sometimes the change is gradual. Some of us are slow learners. Sometimes it's swift. Here's the question for today. Is there a time when we graduate from our old self to our new self? Is there a time when we look back and it just clicks and we say, I'm so changed, there's none of the old me left? My friends who have problems with alcohol refer to themselves as alcoholics, even though that they may have been sober without a drink for 20 years. They do that to remind themselves that their old nature is lurking in the shadows, ready to jump on them if they're not careful. Back to the question. Do we ever get to a point when we can sit and say, you know, there's no old David left. There's no old him there. In reading local news, I've been fascinated with the story of Doris Payne from Dunwoody. Does that name ring a bell? Doris is known as the Dunwoody Jewel Thief. Have you seen all the news? Arrested not long ago at Perimeter Mall for stealing a necklace from Vaughn Mar. She's 86 years old and has stolen for six decades at least. She said in an interview, they've done documentaries on Doris, that I don't have any regrets about stealing jewelry. I regret getting caught. <laughs> Doris has let her old nature run her life. Remember, we looked at this scripture not long ago from Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Your anger gives foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for hard work and then give generously to others. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear That's the transition that we've been talking about in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation that talks about our transition. Is lying always lurking there to come back? Is anger always waiting in the wings? Is stealing as a way of life hoping for a comeback and a believer that once stole? It's bad language waiting to spill out again. And I think we might answer yes. We'd answer yes because of our own experience. We know that words can slip and thoughts can flash, and we are always confronted with our own self. <coughs> Paul talked about the struggle in Romans 7. Beginning at verse 18, it says this. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in life, he says. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that it's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that still lives. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? 
from the old me to the new. The answer is given. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my temple nature, I'm asleep to sin. But we're given hope. And you know how Paul changed. So much he had to get a new name from Saul to Paul. In Romans 8, Paul says this. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit, and you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's one of the most important truths in all of the Scriptures. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He'll give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. We can find scriptures all over the place going either way. Back to the question, is there a time when we graduate from the old to the new? Is there a time when we look back and say, I'm so changed, there's no old me left? Paul says this in Philippians 3 about graduation from old to new. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, he says. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is there are several great points in that section of Scripture. Many would describe this as the press-on passage. But for, before we press on, he told us something key that we should do, and Travis in the video told us the same thing. Philippians 3.13 No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Perfection. The ridding of the old self. Graduation. The total absence of the old man. That's what he's talking about. And I love what he says next. He says this. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past. How key is that to having peace? How key is that to moving on? Forgetting the past. And only after we do that can we move forward. And so yes, graduation is a it comes when a believer dies and hits the shores of heaven. Now you already know that, don't you? But we really need help today, don't we? We really need help today. The good news is that sin is no longer our master. There's a new sheriff in town. This is a new way for our lives to run with the Holy Spirit in our lives. I have a friend that once said when you ask him how you're doing, he'd say, I'm a way improved version of what I used to be. Isn't that good? I'm a way improved version of what I used to be. He was right, and hopefully all of us can say that. So let's answer it this way. We graduate every day, don't we? We graduate every moment of every day when we can put away the old and put on the new. Every time we resist, 
Every time we say no to temptation, every time we act like children of the king, is another graduation. I've never used this next scripture in a sermon before that I know of, and I think it applies, but before I do it, and it's about King David, you remember King David. What could you tell me about King David? If you thought about his life, what could you tell me about him? Anybody have a word? He messed up a lot. He messed up a lot. What do you mean? Get specific. Oh, the, did you, anybody else think about the word Bathsheba? We didn't practice it. Kathy didn't know I was going to go there. Who else is thinking Bathsheba when I talk about David? Yeah, a few of you are. David had a lust problem. David likes the ladies. He had eight wives that we know of. Hanoam, Abigail, Nathan, Hagith, Abital, Elga, and later Michael, and then Bathsheba. But there were more than that. We just have eight names. How many we don't know? In 2 Samuel 5, 13, it says this. After moving from Hebron to Jerusalem, David married more concubines and wives, and they had more sons and daughters. We don't know. David liked the girls. David was 37 and a half when this happened. How do I know that? 2 Samuel 5, 4 says this. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. So 30 to 40, he lived to 70. But it says this. He reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months, and from Jerusalem he reigned over all of Israel for 33 years. So he's 37 and a half, and he's still married. It's guessed that David was in his mid-50s when the Bathsheba incident so how many wives he had by then, we don't know, and now there's room for one more. So let's go to the end of his life. He's 70 years old. He is dying. He is cold. And do you know what they did to decide to wake him and try to prolong his life? Do you remember what they did? They decided to get him a woman. They knew his history. They knew his old nature. They knew his weak spot. Did you know this? And they wanted to wake him up. Not making it up. First Kings chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. King David was now very old, and no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. Ever been there? Couldn't get So his advisors told him, let's find the young virgin to wait on you and look after you, my lord. She'll lie in your arms and keep that's the plan. So they searched throughout the land of Israel for a beautiful girl, and they found Abishag from Shunem and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful, and she looked after the king and took care of him. I find this very interesting. Historians tell us that this was not all that unusual. It was kind of part of the medicine practice of the day. Bed warmers like this were used. What I find interesting is they went out and found a beautiful girl. Did you notice that? They found a beautiful girl because David liked beautiful girls. Now, if this was just for temperature reasons, they would have searched the kingdom for the hottest girl, right? <laughs> but instead, they searched the kingdom 
for the hottest girl. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Was this a test of David's nature? Old David, new David. I mean, if he was a glutton, maybe they'd have gotten a honey-baked ham and sat there. I don't know. He's Jewish. Maybe not a honey-baked ham. Maybe a cheesecake. But, but if he was a drunkard, maybe they would have gotten some Tennessee whiskey. I don't know what they'd have gotten. But a young, beautiful woman. And I think it's to test his nature. Had he graduated, what'd he do? I didn't read you all in verse 4. The girl was very beautiful and she looked after the king and took care of him, he said. But verse 4 ends this way. But the king had no sexual relations with her. I love that that's in the record. I love that that is there for us to know and to read and to ponder. Because David's old nature, and it went to all of your brains when it said King David. It's gone. It's gone. All of us have temptations we deal with. And we have temptations that we've already dealt with that won't bother us. We've decided I won't bother that. I won't do that. We've improved. And the goal is to press on. To graduate more tomorrow than we did today. One day we will truly graduate. What a glorious day. But it's a glorious day here and now when we leave the old nature alone. And people can see that. And they can watch that. God bless you, graduate class of 2019. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for a new nature that changes the way we think, our attitudes, our actions. Help us to press on every day. Thank you for how far you've brought us, for that level, wonderful love of God that we celebrate. Father, today, help us to continue to transform and be who you created us to be. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Remember to sign up, ladies for the study, families for the temple.